With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Shack Show is a production of iHeartRadio. One of the things I hope to do with The Shack Show is to react to news, to analyze something that goes on in the world. And while we don't have a whole lot of that happening in the world of golf right now, we did receive uh, the exciting word that uh, Marion Hollins, and this is exciting, by the way, for us historians and lovers of the game. <laughs> a lot of you probably don't know who Marion Hollins is, but she's in the World Golf Hall of Fame. She will be inducted in the class that has already been announced to include Tiger Woods, likely to have some other uh, pretty big names. And she is just an incredible figure. Obviously, I got acquainted with her place in the game of golf uh, doing a book on Cypress Point and also in researching everything about the Masters. And a lot of that research that I learned and, and, and really the thing I believe that kind of put her over the top for the Hall of Fame came from the work of David Owen, who wrote The Making of the Masters, which is a definitive account of the creation of the tournament and the club. It's an incredible book. It's incredible what he was able to share in that book. And I am very pleased to be joined by him now. And and David, I guess the thing I want to know, first of all, is did you know anything about Marion Hollins when you began this project of, of researching the book? No, I, I knew nothing about her. And it was while I was uh, doing research on uh, the making of the Masters. I came across her name and some old correspondence and and just started looking around, and uh, everywhere I looked, uh, there was something even more interesting. I mean, she she had this amazing, uh, an amazing life. She was a terrific amateur player. She won the the women's amateur uh, when she was uh, 28, I think, and she had come in. Uh, she'd been the runner-up uh, a few years before that, and uh, then when uh, she had, uh, you know, all these crazy things like she raced cars sometimes. She had the only, she was the only woman in the United States with a men's polo handicap. Uh, and she had this, um, you know, she loved golf. And in the 1920s, she founded a, a, a club on Long Island called Women's National Golf and Tennis uh, Club. The men at a nearby country club on Long Island that apparently got tired of playing with their wives and they threw them out of the club. And so a, a group of those wives uh, and other wealthy women, led by Hollins, created their own their own club, and they uh, hired. Uh, the, the, you know, it was this it 
was nice. Yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah. I think Stanford White designed the clubhouse and, or redesigned it. And, uh, the, uh, I, it was either Seth Rayner or Deborah. It was Deborah Emmett. Yep. Deborah Emmett designed the, co- the course. Yep. And it was with help from Hollins. And it was, it was meant to be, uh, um, uh, a friendly course for women. Men were allowed to, to play there, um, but only uh, as guests. And uh, one of the, the many interesting th- things that she did, she, she, the, the head pro at um, Women's National was uh, Ernest Jones, whom she had met in, in, Eng- in England. And Jones was the, the, his, his most famous book is Swing the Clubhead. He'd lost a leg in the First World War, and it made him rethink the golf swing and uh, decided that the, the, all the sort of body stuff wasn't important. What you had to do was you, sw- you, swing, you swing it. You have to swing the club. And he would demonstrate that by tying uh, his pocket knife to a to a pocket handkerchief <laughs> and swinging it back and forth. And um, he had a he had a huge impact on uh, golf instruction, and was cheap. You know, uh, as far as Americans are concerned, uh, Hollins had discovered him. She also discovered uh, Alistair McKenzie, uh, probably. The uh, she was hired by Samuel F. B. Morse, who had bought this huge piece of property on. Uh, the Monterey Peninsula, and uh, she was uh, helped him develop it. And you know, it's the, the piece of property that has what's now Pebble Beach Golf Club on it. And um, the the property that she took part took charge of. Seth Rayner had been had been hired to design the, the course, and then he died. And so um, Hollins replaced him with Alistair McKenzie, and that's the Cypress Point Club. Uh, and she's uh, Mackenzie credited her with the most famous uh, hole on that course. Uh, you know the the par three sixteenth, uh, where you have to hit your tee shot two hundred yards over, you know, from cliff to cliff over the water. Rayner thought that it was an impossible shot. Hollins disagreed. She teed up a ball and hit it successfully to the other side. And uh, you know it's one of the great holes in golf. Yeah, Mackenzie. Um, uh, Mackenzie credited her with. Uh, with its design, and uh, she, when uh, Bobby Jones in 1929, uh, he was expected to, he was expected to win the U.S. Amateur. He was winning everything at that point, and he was the medalist in the the qualifier. But then he was beaten in the first round unexpectedly by the the last qualifier, Johnny Goodman. And so he he was in California with nothing to do. He uh, he played around at um, at Cyprus, which had opened the year before. He'd never seen it before. And he loved it. And then Hollins invited him to play with her in an exhibition match at Pasatiempo, another club that she had founded uh, uh, near Santa Cruz. And he did. Uh, and he he loved it. And while they played, uh, Mackenzie, uh, who had designed the course, walked along with them. And uh, that was sort of that was how, uh, you know, uh, Jones and Clifford Roberts were just at that point uh, talking about uh, they were beginning, beginning to think about building a golf club someplace in the South. And the obvious choice for the architect would have been Donald Ross, uh, who expected to get that commission, I believe. He was considered, you found that, I- I'm trying to remember I now. I think that's true. Yeah, I think that's did, true. Yeah. And he was, you know, it's just like he would be, he would be on yeah. anybody's list. And, right. and I read, you never know what to think about these things, <laughs> but that he was, you read that he was disappointed later that he hadn't been. But at any rate, from that point forward, you know, Mackenzie was not as well known then as he is now. He designed no. a couple of courses in England, and he was, but he was basically a newcomer 
until Jones, uh, you know, uh, in a very short period of time, played these two courses. And they are, they're, you know, Cyprus is incomparable and Pasatempo was terrific. Uh, Pasatempo also had a number of features that appealed to both Jones and Roberts initially. It had, uh, uh, it had riding trails. It had uh, tennis courts with clay imported from France. It had, there was a beach club. There was, you know, it was just, and it was a real estate development, which right. was not something that happened today. Uh, Hollins had hired Olmsted Brothers, the landscape architects, to create a development plan. And there were building lots all around the course, one of which uh, Mackenzie built a house on. So all of these ideas in the original plan for Augusta National, they were all there. Jones and Roberts hired Mackenzie. They right. hired Olmsted Brothers to make the development plan. Uh, they initially, they were going to build two golf courses, one for men and one for women. Uh, it was going to be a huge new clubhouse. Uh, there were going to be riding trails and tennis courts, all these things that um, that were very close uh, copies of what Hollins had done at Pasatiempo. And there were going to be homes around the rim, right? Oh, yeah, right. Yep. Right, yeah. Olmsted <laughs> Brothers, there was a map. You know, and this is the, the thing that people never believe. You could, for very little money, you could have bought... You know, not only you not only could have joined the club for three hundred fifty dollars, then dues of sixty dollars a year or whatever it was, but you could have bought a good sized building lot overlooking, you know, the tenth the tenth yeah. fairway all, all around the course. <laughs> and they, <laughs> in all the time, only one there was only one buyer. It was a member who bought three lots beyond the the first, just beyond the first green. And he built a, a huge house back there that was there until the 1970s hmm. when the, the, the club finally got it back and, and tore it down. And the last thing Clifford Roberts did before he took his own life was to be led by a waiter out onto the first tee so he could look up the first fairway and assure himself that the, <laughs> that the, old, the old Harrison house had been torn down, uh, which by then it had. But you show people a picture of, uh, of the, the, the first green. It's a big house right behind it. And, Roberts in his book made it sound as though, well, we thought we might sell building lots around the course, but we changed our minds. But they tried really hard for 20 years to sell those lots. They they were gonna, nobody wanted to buy them. They, they considered leasing them. In the in the early 19 after the war, they actually they cut they they decided to try to make a kind of a middle class suburban residential development. Where basically where the par three course is today, mm. they cut you know they cut rough roads. They had lots marked and everything like that. They showed it to local real estate agents. Nobody wanted it. Uh, there was one one local real estate guy made them sort of a low ball offer. Roberts found it insulting. And then <laughs> by then in the early 1950s, so they've been trying for 20 years to sell building lots. But by then in the 1950s. The depression was over, the war was over, the economy was rebounding, and the club was in really for the first time in decent financial shape, and they didn't need to um, sell real estate, so they stopped. Okay, we're going to take a quick break on the Shack Show, and then we're going to get to the part where I think you helped put Marion Hollins over the top uh, in terms of being in the World Golf Hall of Fame. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. 
That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, we're back. Uh, David, in your book, The Making of the Masters, the, the, the final piece, I think, to sort of the Marion story, and, and even though everything you've just laid out makes her worthy of being in the World Golf Hall of Fame already, um, in your research, you found that um, uh, Dr. McKenzie sent her, in lieu of himself, uh, at some point during the construction. Now, he was there quite a bit during the construction, but he was having trouble getting paid. Right. And I, as I read it in your book, uh, <laughs> part, part of the reason he sent Hollins was uh, he, he didn't want to go. And part of it was because he trusted her and because she had already had such an influence on the on the building of Augusta National. Yeah, it's true. Uh you know, McKinley's original fee was, I think it was $10,000. They cut it to five, but he never got even that. I mean, right. I don't know what, I don't know what they paid him. He couldn't afford to go. And he would write these begging letters practically to Roberts. You know, it's, I'm, I'm reduced to playing um, golf with one club and a Woolworth ball, this kind of thing that his, he and his wife were gathering firewood around their house to, to try to uh, keep body and soul together. And, he didn't have any money, and the club didn't have any money. I mean, the, you look at the old account books; they owed money to everybody, and it, and still, in, in you know, 1934, when the first tournament was held, it was a really nice program with all these advertisements in it, and all the the advertisers were people that the club owed money to. You know, the, the people who put in the irrigation system, you know, the people they bought dirt from, the people they bought sand from. It was just it looks like this is a, a going enterprise. In fact, it was these were just all their debtors. So the club didn't have any money. They couldn't pay him. At one point, he McKenzie wanted <laughs> wanted some, you know, some I don't know some kind of uh, cheesy notes that he would uh, then try to sell at a discount. The, some 
loan, and, and Hollins helped him with that, and he got a little hmm. bit of money from that. But anyway, Hollins at that point she was rolling in it. She discovered oil. Uh, she the money that she put into her fortune that she spent on Pasatiempo. She, you know, she had she had money, so she came and looked. And Roberts was upset, uh, not because of her necessarily, but uh, because he wanted uh, uh, he wanted Mackenzie there. Right. And Mackenzie, ne- you know, Mackenzie never saw the course finished. He never. He never, he was never there again. And but anyway, she, she, Hollins reported that she liked it a lot. She didn't it contribute to the design, but she assured Mackenzie that his ideas were being carried through. So, David, the last thing I wanted to ask you about uh, related to Marion and Augusta and Clifford Roberts was, I think the thing that we we lose a little bit in in thinking about this, or we 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 easily forget, is that she was a woman doing this at a time really telling uh, a lot of men with pretty big egos uh, how to do something, how to get it done, how to how to finish a project. And then I think what your research did was bring together what she did as a visionary, as a producer, and bringing all these great minds together. Uh, is that something in your research of Augusta you sensed was difficult for Clifford Roberts? I don't think it was for Bobby Jones, right? Yeah, you know, I I don't know. They they, they both. Uh, I think her main contribution to Augusta National. I mean, her real contribution to Augusta National was that she created the the template that they followed. Yeah, Casa Tiempo was was what they wanted when they started out. That was what they wanted. They used the people that she had used, so they didn't have any. They didn't hesitate to you know to follow the example of a woman. When she actually came on site, it was a pretty mind. You know, nobody was there. I, you know, Roberts wasn't there. Um, uh, um, Jones wasn't there, and she was just basically looking at it and uh, assuring Mackenzie that things were going according to plan. Uh, Roberts, at that point, you know, he wanted he wanted Mackenzie to be there taking part in it. Uh, yeah. So he, I don't, I'm not sure how he he felt about, uh, you know, taking advice or, or taking counsel from a woman. And I also don't know how much she actually she actually told him. I think mainly what she said was, "It's good. It's you know, it's it's." Uh, she she gave her seal of approval. Right. Uh, she was, you know, but it was the the. Uh, there are two things that are interesting. Women's National did really did fine through the Great Depression, mm. uh, and uh, uh, Tempo sort of um, it, and much better. It, it, they did much better than um, uh, than Augusta National did initially, but it's Augusta National that survived. Tempo ended up. Um, you know, it went into receivership or it was and women's national, when the war came along, the women basically decided that they, they didn't want to keep it going. And, uh, it was, it was Augusta national that, that persisted with this kind of, um, uh, I don't know, stubborn determination to survive Mm. these, these amazing, uh, setbacks. And uh, it, part of it is that uh, Holland's in the end of her career. She had this automobile accident. She died young. She, um, uh, she, so this sort of powerful personality that she was was it ceased to be there. And mm. these projects of hers, this incredible, Tampa was an incredibly ambitious project. Uh, and uh, you know, the war killed it. And um, the, uh, but I think that the, the what's interesting is that. Is p- partly that she does. She's unique. You know, think of who, who is the uh, name another woman who 
had this kind of uh, visionary, successful uh, golf course development um, record. And it may just be that, uh, as with Women's National, when when times got really tough, the women, deci- you know, the women who were the members of it, the, who were running it, decided it wasn't worth it to keep going, and it wasn't this kind of uh, insane men's commitment to keeping a golf course alive. Right. Uh, but it, because she was, she was, uh, she wasn't really herself. I think at the end of, at at the end of her career, and she died. She was like fifty one when yeah. she died. Yeah. Uh, so um, we didn't get the full we didn't get the full Marion Hollins. But boy, when she was when she was active, she was she was remarkable. Um, the in all these different fields, and she was a great athlete. And then she was, um, she, you know, Pasta Tiempo was a was a the movie stars all hung out there. It yeah. Was a, it was a, the idea of of golf surrounded by a real estate development was not that was new. And and uh, and uh, the she brought. Uh, Ernest Jones to the United States, and she and she basically discovered Alistair McKenzie. And those are any one of those is a major contribution to uh, to the history of golf, and, and they all came from her. Yeah, there have been very few real superstar developers, uh, and, and we might we have Mike Kaiser today, but there aren't, there haven't been many who really understood how to bring all these different people together and and trust them and and use their visions. So uh, that impact on Augusta National is is profound and obviously in the places that that she's left behind because so few people even know that Cypress Point and Pasa Tiempo were real estate developments they're so well done that you you don't think about it in the way you think about it when you go somewhere else uh, you mentioned the war in your book the making of the masters you covered quite a bit about Augusta National during the war years they lost three masters uh, during that time, and we obviously are now in a, a holding pattern with the possibility of a November playing. Did anything about uh, last week and not having a Masters and your your time going through the archives and those war years uh, strike you as as interesting in these bizarre times? Yeah, it was really it was really weird um, the not having a Masters because it you know if you're a golfer it's so much of how you oh yeah. It's how you know it's spring, and it's, exactly, and, and it's a part of it. And I also I found this I found this thing that I, I hadn't necessarily been expecting. I didn't really enjoy watching replays of old tournaments. It Interesting, me, huh? It just made me feel kind of sad that the the real yeah. thing wasn't on. Yeah. And uh, so I watched a little bit, but but not a whole lot. And uh, it, it feels a little different now, too. Where you know, in the war, it was it was a war. You had the things we stopped. Bobby Jones had this what turned out to be a terrible idea, but the idea of we'll contribute to the war effort by grazing cattle on our golf course. <laughs> and, uh, the, <laughs> it turns out that cattle really like to eat azaleas and they, leave <laughs> nor- they, they left these huge green, bright green spots all over the golf course where oh. the cow pies landed, the, the, these intermittently fertile, fertilized fairways. Uh, so that, that was, that was a disaster. But you know, when they, you think about what, what it was like then from, Economic point of view, it's probably similar to what it is now. They they had just scraped through the Great Depression. One thing people don't realize this the the first Masters when it was the Augusta National Invitation Tournament, it got a lot of headlines because Bobby Jones is going to return to competitive golf. After that, there wasn't a lot of easy ways to sell it, and mm-hmm. the the field was small to begin with, and it shrank steadily through the 30s. It was like you know it was smaller than my club's member guest by by late, the late 1930s. It just started to turn around at the end of the 30s, 
And then the war came along and it, and it had to shut down completely. And there was no certainty when they did uh, that they'd ever open up again or that the tournament would ever be held again. So uh, the, I think that, I think that now, I mean, we're talking about November. We're not talking about three years from now. So, right. Uh, it, it, it doesn't seem, uh, it doesn't seem quite the same. I've also found I'm getting a lot more done uh, <laughs> yeah. now that I'm not playing golf. I've, I've played nine holes a few times, but, uh, you know, and I'd really like to go back. One, the, one of the nice things about it is that there are no carts. My club is still open sort of, but there are no carts. The golf shop is closed. No guests are allowed. So if you go, it's pretty nice. You know, it's, it's just a, a handful of people out walking around, staying far away from each other. And um, it's really pretty pleasant. We would not be able to afford to. You mentioned Mike Kaiser a minute ago, and I think he's a pretty good analog. And it's the same kind of visionary. Uh, each of the, they, they, they had different ideas of what of what they were doing, but both of them had an impact on golf. Have had, you know, Kaiser definitely had an impact on golf, and and Hollins did. Hollins is more invisible, but she was, uh, and and her scope was smaller, but still, you know, it was a, she was a big deal. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's what I think is wonderful about this Hall of Fame induction. And it took a long time, and it took all these little bits and pieces to be understood, and just this greater awareness of of golf course design and. And design of all other elements of a of an experience that you you enjoy when you go to these places, and it's just a more of an awakening of 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 a, the impact that somebody can have besides being a great golfer. She she just uh, got people thinking a lot of different ways, and um, it's 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 a so it's it's to me it's a wonderful induction and, and announcement just on that that notion alone that there's more to the game than just people playing the game well, that there were people who were dreaming and, and envisioning other things. So you you have written, uh, I believe it's 11 books, I uh, think. No, it's more than that. It's probably, it's maybe. It's a lot. Yeah. Closer to 20. I've written a lot, yeah. Okay. And, you, and, and one of them, obviously, you have some golf books uh, besides the making of the Masters, My Usual Game, and, and you did a book on Tiger Woods, uh, and you did a, a compilation of essays that I love, Lord of the Links. But, but. Recently, you've you've done a few things on water and uh, a book on uh, you called Green uh, Metropolis: Why Living Smaller, Living Closer, Driving Less are Keys to Sustainability. Um, you touched on the changes to your golf experience and in, in, in the few times you've played recently. Where do you? And I know this is a big question, but but do you see major changes to the game coming out of this? What what, what do you anticipate? Nobody knows what the world is going to look like a year from now, two years from now. Uh, it, it, I, I think it will, we're talking about this with a friend, so and I think it will be different. I think that uh, things, lots of things will be different. Golf, it would. I've often thought, just in terms of for environmental reasons, golf could be golf would still be fun if it were less um, over the top than it is right. now. And you think about more the way it is in the British Isles or has been in the British Isles where, you know, they have advantages that we don't. The the, the game arose there. So it, it arose to be played in the conditions that exist there. So they don't have to do the same kind of uh, golf golf course maintenance that we do to, 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 to create a surface on which you can play golf, but you can play golf on a, you can play golf and, and have a great time doing it on uh, surfaces that don't look like carpet. And I think that maybe 
the uh, we will for a variety of reasons. There'll be economic reasons. There'll be uh, environmental reasons. There'll be maybe there'll be uh, you know health reasons why golf can be um, the way I like it better. Not everybody does, but right. there's a kind of scaled scaled down more. Uh, more casual, more uh, uh, a little more rough around the rougher around the edges. I don't think that would be a bad thing. And one of the things that I've liked the best about, uh, you know, one of my favorite golf digest assignments I had ever was I, I went to Scotland and uh, rented a car and had my golf clubs and I didn't play. I played only courses that I'd never heard of before. And right, I, would go I remember that was a great piece. <laughs> it was really fun, and I would go someplace and I would play, and then I would say, okay, where should I go next? I go, oh, we're only twelve miles from. Uh, you know, Carnoustie. And I said, no, 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 I don't want to play Carnoustie. Tell me where, tell me someplace I've never heard of before. Like, oh, oh, okay. You know, you should go here. And the golf that way where it's not, you're not paying $500 for your round and, and you don't have all this sort of rigmarole around it yeah. and the vast clubhouses and all this kind of stuff. Uh, the little golf course that I belong to in my town I think that the secret of its success is that we, we don't have a restaurant. Mm. It has a, it has a, it has a grill, uh, you know, like a, you know, a, a barbecue grill out on a little patio and it has a kitchen, but it, it's like a kitchen in your house and, and there's no, it just makes it, it's a, it's just a golf club. And that's, to me, that's incredibly appealing. There, you know, there are people who, who hate that and they wish that it had, uh, you know, all kinds of other activities along with it. But, you know, that's, that's, a scale a scaled down role of golf would be um I would not have a problem with yeah do you sense that the sports uh the sport will be a, a, appreciated a bit more either by the people who are in some form attached to it as a as a as a golfer a lot of them not able to play now or or restricted and missing it but also uh, as just a, a a great form of recreation that you can distance and <laughs> get exercise right. and be outdoors. Do you, do you, do you see that possibility or do you think some of the excesses that have uh, tainted people's views of the sport will, will still be there or, or maybe even made worse by this? I don't know. <laughs> Those views, yeah. yeah. People don't human nature. tends to be pretty durable. I've always made a joke. So you know, my, that like most golf clubs, my golf club, the average age has been rising. And I say, you know, one, one tough flu season and we would be in serious trouble. Um, mm. And, you know, here we, we have that kind of thing. So I, you know, it'll be interesting to see how, uh, what comes back. And it, it's not like even like 2008 where you kind of felt that there was a, <laughs> where the unemployment rate was a fraction of what it is right now and where you felt, okay, you know, there's this horrible thing in a year or two, things will be, they won't be back to where they were, but they'll be on the mend and, and people, things go on and people forget that there was this, you know, they forgot about 1987. You forget about, you kind of move on. This seems like it has at least the potential to, to change a lot of things permanently. Um, my, my, my friends and I, uh, I had seven friends and I, we were going to be going to Wales, uh, in, uh, where are we going? Like in a couple of weeks mm. to play, to play golf in Wales for 10 days. And, that trip we've we moved it to october and when we did this was in i don't know not too far into march and one of the guys said you, you really don't think we'll be going in may and then like one day later everybody was like do you think october is far enough away so you know every day it seems it still uh, changes like that and and the who knows what uh 
what people will be thinking about traveling abroad to, yeah. to play golf, uh, the, or if there'll even be any flights or if people will think, you know, there's a risk that I go to the UK, uh, what if I catch it there and I have to stay there for, mm. I have to be treated there after, or if I'm suspected, I have to stay there in quarantine for two weeks. So I think there, there are all these question marks and there's, you think of how much of the, the kind of golf infrastructure that we depend on, the tour groups, the, the tour companies, the, the golf course maintenance crews, the, you know, or how many people will be willing to keep paying their dues through, uh, um, through a crisis like this. Luckily at my club, you have to pay all your dues up front. Uh, and the deadline was like right before Connecticut shut down. So everybody, everybody was already in, but it, you know, and I'm, there's so many committees I'm glad I'm not on. And one of them is I'm glad I'm not on the board of governors of the yeah. club. And I'm, uh, the, the, so many people are, who are having to make decisions based on not a whole lot of solid information. Why Wales? May I just ask from a golf point of view? Not that I don't mean that as an indictment on Wales because I've never played some of the courses there, and some of them look incredible. I'm just just as a golfer, I'm curious how you guys uh, pick that. We've been everywhere else, ah. and uh, <laughs> the, there's a then there are all these looking at pictures. You know, there are all these links courses up the oh, it's, the it's up the coast, amazing, and uh, and it's less expensive. And we thought, you know, they're not they're not going to be as many people. One thing that one thing that w- it was not. Why, why we did it, but it turns out if you have to reschedule the trip, Wales is a lot easier than the old course. So, ah, yeah. Uh, yeah, the people who are really sweating are the, are the ones who put down a huge amount of money for packages uh, at St Andrews or at, at the fancy places, and who knows what's going to happen, right, uh, right, to them. Yeah, with us, I think that um, they'll be glad to see us whenever we show up. I kind of think, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I will uh, poke around the internet for that story. I, I remember it well, and I uh, don't know if it's still uh, online anywhere. Um, it's not, you know, you'll find it out if you go to my website. Uh, okay. Uh, Perfect. The uh, to myusualgame.com. It right. may be on the other one, too. I think that I think you'll find it there. Okay. Super. Well, it was back, back Road Scotland, I think was what it was called. Back Road Scotland. Okay, great. Well, David, thank you so much for uh, this impromptu conversation to, to discuss uh, this, this lovely news about Marion Hollins. And, and uh, I hope you stay safe and get to play some golf soon under safe conditions there in Connecticut. Yeah, same to you. Exactly. We'll play together sometime. We'll, we'll play over Zoom or something like that. <laughs> Thank you, David. Okay, thank you, Jeff. Hey, quick break here. Let's hear from our sponsors. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events... You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I will put together some notes uh, from this conversation with David. I hope you enjoy them at jeffshackelford.com. I already have a post up about Marion with some some links if you want to kind of go back in time and, and imagine what that was like and uh, learn a little bit more about Augusta. I don't think it's ever uh, the wrong time to be thinking about the Masters and the creation of that place. It's always fascinating conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, he is a uh, an incredible writer. If you you don't recall his work, I will have some links up. That piece he wrote about uh, lesser-named, less famous golf courses was, I think, one of those along with a couple others, uh, some books like Michael Bamberger's book, uh, To the Lynx Land, and Lauren Rubenstein's book on Dornick. That got people thinking you could you could play golf in Scotland and have a great time, even if it wasn't a very famous place. And I certainly endorse. There are so so many fun links. I hope he gets to make that trip to Wales. Uh, as always, I want to thank the show's producer Tim Parachka for editing this together. And just a reminder: the Shack Show is a production of iHeartRadio. And as you know, for more podcasts from iHeart, visit the iHeartRadio app. It's a super app. gives you great notifications. Or, of course, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Shack Show. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.